Hello, everybody. Welcome to the League of Fans Sports Forum podcast. I am Ken Reed, and I am your host. I'm also Sports Policy Director for League of Fans, a sports reform project founded by Ralph Nader. You can find some of our work at leagueoffans.org. Our mission at League of Fans is to fight for the principles of justice, fair play, equal opportunity, civil rights, safety, and civic responsibility in the world of sports. With the Sports Forum podcast, we try to take a fairly deep dive on a variety of sports issues. For the most part, we'll be talking about issues beyond the games themselves. So with that, let's get this episode started. Okay, here we go. Today's guest is Mono Watsa, who's president of PGC Basketball. Uh, as president, Mono is a leader of PGC, which used to be Point Guard College, uh, but now uh, is PGC because it affects a lot more players than just point guards. Uh, it's the largest education basketball camp in the world with over 150 camps in 30 plus U.S. states and Canada. Mono is a highly sought after speaker who has inspired over 250,000 students, coaches and business leaders around the world, including across the U.S., Canada, Mexico, India, Jamaica, Hong Kong, and Israel. Mono is also a high-performance coach for top professionals, including business leaders and NBA players. And just a personal side note, I took one of my daughters and several of her teammates to one of Mono's PGC camps, and it was uh, one of the best experiences I've had, and hopefully for our girls as well. Um, it was an outstanding experience and easily the best camp experience I've ever witnessed. And my dad was a basketball coach. I was a basketball coach. So I've seen a lot of camps and his is excellent. And the approach he takes is excellent. And we'll get into that a little later on how they run their camps. But Mono, welcome to the show. And let's start with your background in sports in general and basketball in particular. Yeah, Ken, a pleasure to be on with you today. You know, I, I started in sports at an early age, uh, as as many do, and got hooked on sports. I lived for sports growing up through my elementary school, grade school years, recess out on the playground, playing soccer, or basketball, whatever the sport was. And then uh, in in fourth grade, I had uh, the coach, the phys ed teacher at our school suggested to me that I might want to go to a basketball camp. I had never even thought about going to a basketball camp, but uh, he said, I'll pay for half of it if you want to go. And I think he knew that uh, my my family could uh, could use the help. And that was enough of an impetus to go, Ken. And that, that basketball a, camp was the beginning. It's amazing how a teacher or coach can change the direction of your life like that. It's unbelievable. And when I look back on my entire athletic career, it was marked by coaches who cared, coaches who invested in me, coaches who encouraged me, built into me, saw potential in me. And so uh, everything I do now in the world of basketball and sports is really just uh, an opportunity for me to pay it forward for what so many coaches did for me. So is that first camp basically the start of what made you de decide to dedicate your life to basketball coaching and youth sports or was there a another trigger well I, I didn't I didn't know it at the time uh, but I ended up attending that camp for eight years right up until I was a senior in high school 
And midway through high school, I started going to other overnight basketball camps, including attending Point Guard College as an athlete. And I couldn't really get a summer job because I was going to all these different camps. My love of basketball had grown to such an extent that I was investing most of my summers going to camps. But at the same time, I knew I needed a job. And uh, the only thing I could come up with was maybe I should start a basketball camp myself in my parents' backyard. <laughs> and uh, and so I already was helping some local kids who would come over and shoot. We had a single hoop and a little cement pad. And that was the beginning of uh, of teaching players. And I, I started a camp. I was volunteering at my old grade school with the coach who had gotten me hooked on basketball and on sports. And he uh, he recommended it to the kids. And we had eight kids the first week. We did it again a couple weeks later, had nine kids the second week. And that was the beginning, Ken. The following year, we had four weeks of camp, 20 kids a week. The next year, we had 35 kids a week. I just started adding hoops and creating space. And we got up to uh, 120 kids a week in uh, in our camps by the end of it and ran them in my backyard for 21 years. That's awesome. A young entrepreneur. Uh, tell me about your first experience with Point Guard College with and the founder, Dick DeVenzio, and why he inspired you to continue on. Yeah, I didn't really know what I was getting into when I got on a plane and flew down to South Carolina to uh, to the camp that worked with my schedule. He had uh, a year or two prior started this national point guard college. When I saw the ad in uh, in this NBA Digest magazine, all it said was point guard college and it had a 1-800 number. And I thought, I don't know what point guard college is, but I'm a point guard and I need to learn how to play if I'm going to play at higher levels of play. And I got the information and decided to, uh, to to take the plunge and go. And that five days, it's difficult to even put into words, Ken, what I experienced in that five days, but it gave me a vision of who I could be as a player, as a student, as a leader, and even as a person. And all these light bulbs turned on for me in terms of how I could think the game, how I could lead teammates more effectively, how I could be a better coach on the floor for my coach, how I could play bigger than my size. And all of those things paid off in spades. I, I came home and after being a sponge at the camp, I just reviewed my, my notebook regularly and attempted to put everything into practice that I learned and went from being an average high school player to being all conference and suddenly having the opportunity to play college basketball. And so it was a complete game changer. And more significantly, when I look back on it, it was a, a life changer. That's awesome. Uh, I want to hear more about Dick too, but let's, before we get back to PGC, I, I want to start with an easy one here with you. What do you think is the biggest problem in youth sports today? I think the, the biggest problem is we've lost what sports is all about in the first place. We, we've lost our focus on what sports is supposed to be about. And uh, it, it's become a means to an end as opposed to an end in itself. Games are no longer played for the love of the game and for the joy of the game and for experiencing uh, everything that comes within a, a sport experience. You think about kids out on the playground who are just having fun, learning, trying things, experimenting, 
learning to work together as a team to be able to beat the the team that they're going against. And all of that has been lost in the in in favor of the pursuit of a scholarship, the pursuit of fame and fortune. Uh, ESPN hasn't helped with the top 10 plays because now, especially in basketball, can you break somebody's ankle? Can you dunk on someone? It's become individualistic. Um, and even coaches and parents have lost the focus of what sports is all about. So we run our kids ragged, taking them from practice to practice to tournament after tournament. And, uh, and kids are, kids are penalized and punished and yelled at for making mistakes when the whole goal of sports is for kids to stretch themselves and, um, and experiment and play. And so unfortunately, I think we've lost much of what play is intended to be. Yeah, I'm, I'm concerned that the whole culture of youth sports, basketball in particular, is for elite players like the travel teams, the AAU, the club teams. And parents and kids are starting to believe that if I can't be on the top varsity team in high school or the top club team, that there's no place in basketball for me. And things like intramural programs that used to be in high schools are gone the way of the dinosaur. And even local rec programs are are kind of going away because these club sports are just kind of taken over. And I, I'm concerned that if we believe sports have benefit and can teach people a lot of lessons, young people a lot of lessons about life, that we're having fewer and fewer participants just because of this focus on elitism and scholarships and only the best can actually play. What are your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, I fully agree. And it's a shame. And we need to make changes to the entire system and how we think about things. And I think it begins with individual parents and coaches thinking about how we can do this differently. I decided to coach my kids through soccer and basketball through their growing up years with that specific intent of how do we do this differently. I, I think one organization to look to uh, for in, in terms of basketball specifically is uh, an organization called Midwest 3 on 3 that has created 3 on 3 leagues for kids. Low cost for for kids to be able to participate there aren't coaches coaching the kids. So the kids have the opportunity to experiment and experience free play and have fun. And uh, and parents don't have to travel all over the country for their kids to be able to participate. And everybody gets playing time. I, I think we need to look to models like Midwest 3 on 3 to think about how we can do this so that more kids can stay engaged in the game and so that families don't have to run their run the, run themselves ragged and stretch themselves financially and go into debt for their kids to be able to participate in sports that's awesome and i i've always loved three on three because all the kids get more touches and yeah. every, everyone has to learn different skills you can't just park in the post and so three on three is a great way to learn the game, but it's also this Midwest three on three sounds awesome for what its philosophy is. The, the other problem I see is the economic gap between the haves and have nots. And, and once you start having to drive your kids miles to the local club team or to showcase tournaments, money becomes an issue. And unfortunately, some of the lower economic areas and 
urban areas versus the more wealthy suburban areas, the kids in the lower economic areas just aren't getting the same opportunities to play the sport at, and get taught properly. Yeah, we're attempting to be part of the solution in that regard, Ken. You know, it's uh, it's not enough to just uh, just talk about the problems. I think it's the responsibility of all of us to to identify what we can do to help be a part of the solution. And so we're working on that. And I'm I'm committed to finding ways, especially as we're a national organization and have a really significant reach. Um, finding ways that that we can help to create opportunities for players that don't require um, these high costs that prevent many players and families from being able to participate. Yeah, it'd be great if there was some uh, a lot more foundations or, or uh, philanthropists stepped up and could help provide scholarships and that type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the other bugaboo in my mind with youth sports is the increasing emphasis on single sport specialization and as much as I love basketball and if I was forced to pick one sport to play watch uh, participate in in coaching or whatever it would be basketball I just think that starting kids to specialize in one sport whatever the sport is early as eight nine years old is just counterproductive and leads to burnout and more physical injuries and uh, it's just not good for the the holistic development of a young person yeah yeah and you're bang on and we we now have all the research that backs that up um one piece of research it's now become known as the 10-year rule from whenever uh, a, a kid starts training for a given sport they've 98 or 99 percent of the kids have a 10-year window so if they start at age five they're likely to be done at age 15. we look at the rare exception like tiger woods who started at age two and conti has continued on even into his 40s but that's the one percent or the 0.1 percent the vast majority of players experience burnout they experience uh, injury and in fact yeah let me just read for you what the American Medical Society for Sports Medicine uh, identified on this. Children who specialize in one sport early in life were found to be the first to quit their sport and it ended up having higher inactivity rates as an adult. So by specializing, it actually works the opposite of what parents and coaches hope for and intend on. They're actually the first to quit their sport. <laughs> and then they have higher inactivity rates as adults. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And the other thing is that uh, opposite of what some of these club coaches will tell their parents and kids that in terms of going on to play in college and even higher levels, it the research is showing that the kids that played multiple sports growing up actually end up going further because they've developed multiple skills. They've used different muscles and movements. Um, there there was a shortstop for the Rockies named Troy Tulowitzki who had baseball camps and he, he would tell people that within 10 minutes he can tell you which kids are the single sport players and which are multiple athletes just by their movements. He said the single sport athletes were more robotic in their movements and multiple sport athletes were more fluid in their movements and he thought overall better athletes. So I, I think that we really got to get away from 
a single sport specialization so early now. I mean, if you're a junior in high school and you have picked your sport and you can see your future, then that's different than eight or nine years old. But like you touched on, some of the other research shows that almost 80% of kids who start youth sports are quitting by age 13. And this brings up another problem beyond sports or single sport specialization. It's the coaching styles. Um, the, when asked why they quit in these surveys, the number one answer is always overbearing adults to some degree, whether that's parents or coaches that just drove the fun out of it. And too many coaches at the youth levels are still acting in the authoritarian mode of Vince Lombardi or Bobby Knight to kick him in the butt kind of style versus a more humanitarian, humanistic coaching style. And, and that's, and we're losing a lot of kids early because of that. One of the reasons I loved your camp so much is the positive energy and the, the humanistic coaching styles and the motivational tools that weren't used, weren't fear-based and very positive and, I think we need a lot more of that in coaching. Uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of youth sports coaches just see what the, they see on TV and they see the screamers and the yellers and they think that's how they have to coach. But uh, if you look at records of, uh, you know, a Dean Smith or John Wooden, even who are more in the human, humanistic side, they're every bit as successful as the Bobby Knight types. Yeah, absolutely. And just before I, I share a thought or two on the on the coaching front, just coming on back to your baseball example on early age specialization, research has actually showed that more players become major league baseball players from the northern U.S. compared to the southern U.S. because in the northern U.S. they're not able to play baseball year round. Wow, that's interesting. I hadn't heard that. Athletes. So just a, a super fascinating one. So for. For any parent listening, if you have a, a young person below the age of 13, it would be to your significant advantage to have them have seasons off their primary sport. Yeah, that's especially true for pitchers in baseball who, you know, there's more and more cases of kids that are just barely in their teens having to have Tommy John surgery because they blow out their arms throwing year round. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And coming on back to coaches, you know, I think it's the combination of two sets of models. One, the models of the the angry Division One coaches screaming that they see on television. And the second is the models that we've all had from coaches ourselves, who were doing the best they could with what they knew. But now we know so much better. All the research shows what kids need from a development standpoint is a nurturing environment. And unfortunately, what coaches have traditionally turned to is the Army model. You know, in fact, some of our most well-known coaches, Coach K, Bobby Knight, actually came from West Point and came from military academies where if you're fighting a war, the goal is not to create a nurturing, as much to create a nurturing environment. Although I'll, I'll say I was actually... I did, speaking with uh, someone in the U.S. Armed Forces who is representing the U.S. with NATO, and we had a really interesting conversation in that even to those soldiers experience the negative impact of not being in a culture where there's empathy and vulnerability 
and a sense of humanity. Yet in sports, we've taken on this notion as coaches that it's okay to be little kids. It's okay to just drive them with this winning at all costs mentality in which we then use these fear-based tactics of anger, of judgment, of punishment, of threats, of sarcasm, of hum humiliation. And all of those things can do drive results, but they tend to lead to resentment and rebellion long-term. Whether it's a parent who, who parents that way, a teacher who teaches that way, or a coach who coaches that way. And so the long-term effects are so damaging to a young person. Yet as coaches, we often don't know better. When we know better, we can do better. And, and so it's important for us to help educate coaches. It's one of the reasons we created our PGC coaching online platform that now supports thousands of, of coaches and why we started our coaching clinics to help equip coaches to put other tools in their tool belt so they didn't have to go to anger and threats and punishment in order to get their desired results and that there's in fact ways to do it positively. Exactly. And I'll throw out a plug for another organization that's doing great stuff, the Positive Coaching Alliance. That was founded Absolutely. by Jim Thompson at a Stanford and they do great stuff too. So there are resources out there. The problem is that most of our coaches, unlike our teachers, don't have to have any certification or training at all. Uh, you know, they come off the job, put on a whistle and just do what they think is best. And it would be great in this country if we had a little better way to educate our youth coaches uh, in some of the things you just talked about and in terms of how to be more humanistic, holistic developing type coach. Ken, it's interesting that you mentioned that. And I love Positive Coaching Alliance as well. They're, they're double goal. You can win on the field and you can win in terms of the impact, the positive impact that you have on, on athletes as well. I love their, their double goal approach. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say that when when you start talking about these things that being positive and humanistic, some coaches just roll their eyes thinking, well, they're they're going to give everyone ribbons and they're not trying to win. But it's striving to win isn't the problem. It's the win at all cost mentality. That's the problem. Yeah. And that cost, what coaches don't realize is the cost of their players well-being. And we're seeing that in terms of mental health right? From, from high school players right up to professional athletes. And so as coaches, we've got to wake up to the fact that there's a better way and creating a, an encouraging, nurturing, life-giving environment actually brings the best out of our kids. And so th that's just a, a really important one. And when you mentioned the certification, can uh, we're actually in the process of building out that very thing. And over uh, over the coming year, we're gonna have something that we hope um, can be something that may get adopted far and wide in the basketball world. Yeah, I I would hope it's that the NBA and USA basketball would buy in because you kind of need that overarching umbrella to make this thing really take off. But I'm excited to hear about your effort in that regard. Have you had any contact with the NBA or USA basketball? Well, we're actually part of the junior NBA flagship network of some of the more influential or most influential youth sports uh, organizations. 
And so we've, uh, we've, we've had conversations with them. Uh, it was just back in the fall down at NBA headquarters, uh, talking through how we can, how we can address some of the biggest challenges in the game. And then uh, the same with USA basketball, uh, you know, they're, they're doing a good work and they're attempting to, to impact coaches and players and they have a licensing program and, uh, and we'd certainly love to come alongside them at some point in time to be able to help level up coaches. Awesome. Well, let's get, let's get back to PGC and uh, Dick DeVenzio. Tell me, because I've got a couple of his books that were pretty amazing. He must have been a unique individual who unfortunately died way too soon, but he was the original founder, right, of Point Guard College. And what was his vision and his approach? You know, his, his vision with Point Guard College, so Dick was one of a kind, best-selling author, just a brilliant basketball mind and genius um, in, in terms of how he thought about sports his goal with the Point Guard College was to, to bring an intelligent approach to the pursuit of excellence. And uh, what he saw in looking around him with, with teams and players across all sports was that uh, kids and teams were attempting to win and be successful, but didn't really have an intelligent approach to the pursuit of excellence. That's why he wrote the book, Think Like a Champion, which is a bestseller that impacts teams and players across all sports. In fact, Nick Nurse with the Toronto Raptors um, gives the uh, the other book, Stuff Good Players Should Know, that he wrote that was specific for basketball to his Raptors players every season. He orders uh, another 15 copies of the book for his players. And uh, those two books, Stuff Good Players Should Know and Think Like a Champion, are really Dick's thoughts on what it means to what it means to compete and um, have an approach that the simplest way I can describe it is that's uncommon and that helps players and coaches to truly achieve their full potential and helping their teammates players to achieve their full, full potential as well and how to shape and impact every environment you step into as an athlete or coach. Yeah, you, you mentioned the word uncommon and, and that's part of what I recall from our experience at your camp. Um, most camps are just strictly on the court. I love how you guys integrate classroom instruction and video instruction and then go back out on the court and implement it. I like the uh, holistic development of your campers. One of the coolest things I thought was, I can't even remember how old our girls were, maybe eighth grade, but you had all of them get up in front and do a little speech and, you know, show some leadership skills and stretch themselves in a little uncomfortable way. But uh, talk about how your camp is unique from maybe the camps you talked about going to when you were a kid. Sure. You know, Part of Dick's brilliance was his holistic approach to helping players develop. And what he what he created with the Point Guard College curriculum was a hear it, see it, do it model. So the players hear it in the classroom first. They see it on film with college and pro players using the habits and failing to use the habits that he was attempting to reinforce. And then as opposed to getting on, on court and just like many camps, rolling out the balls and letting kids play or having scrimmages or games or just having 
competitions, hot shot and free throw shooting and one-on-one competitions, his court sessions were designed to reinforce all the leadership mindset um, and habits and skills that we were learning in the classroom and that we saw in film. And so that, uh, that here at see it, do it model is something that we've stuck with, with all of our courses. Now that we have not just our point guard college, but our shooting college, scoring college, playmaker college for now, those, those are all for high school and college players, but now for our younger players in grade school, we have our point guard prep camp and we still follow the here at see it, do it model that, uh, that Dick originally built the curriculum around. Yeah, and I like uh, the emphasis on being a good teammate on how you can help your teammates get better by how they interact and communicate and the positive attitudes they have. And it's it's a, a lot of teamwork-based instruction that I think really carries on into the rest of a person's life. Yeah, you know, in, in so many camps and even the camps that I loved growing up, kids go and they get better at skills. And that's important. And certainly, you know, we like to think that the cutting edge skills that we teach are as good as anything a player or coach would find anywhere. But far beyond that, helping kids to learn how to be great teammates, learning how to be a leader, how to influence teammates and be a change agent. I mean, these types of things are transferable to every aspect of a young person's life and will help them throughout their lives. And that's why so many PGC grads have gone on to do incredible things in the world, way beyond basketball. An occasional PGC grad will go on to the NBA or the WNBA, but far more will go on to be great parents, great coaches, great teachers, doctors, lawyers, CEOs, mayors, governors. And with our our 120,000 graduates and the 10,000 plus coaches, I can't imagine how many of them have gone on to do some really significant things in the world? Yeah, one of the other things I liked about your camp that I'd never seen before is you give everyone a notebook and the kids and the coaches are all taking notes and referring back to them. And I still have mine and look at it occasionally. It's it's a, it's a true learning educational experience and not just a playing basketball experience. Yeah, that that is certainly a piece that distinguishes it from every other type of experience. And it's not for the faint of heart or the player who just, you know, enjoys shooting around once in a while. You know, our camps are for dedicated players who who are passionate and who want to uh, figure out how they can either achieve their goals, play at higher levels of play, or simply become the best player that they're capable of becoming. And for that player, and I was that type of player, Ken, when I attended in in high school, as I shared back at the beginning, you know, it's game changing for that type of player. Yeah. And we touched on it just a second ago about the mental health aspect though, but I think you guys were talking mental health or, or the thinking part of the game, but also the mental health aspect long before all this um, news of college and high school athletes committing suicide and the mental health problems we're having in this country with young people, it's more and more important. And I'd be curious to know if you're addressing mental health aspects at these camps, and especially with coaches to help recognize kids that are struggling mentally, because I think it 
needs to move beyond just the physical aspect to the mental health aspect of being an athlete and some of the pressures that young athletes face that maybe their classmates that aren't in athletics don't face. Yeah, we do. And I, I think there's even more that we can do. You know, it's it's multifaceted in terms of the stresses and the stressors that coaches and parents put on our kids. Um, I think we're all becoming more aware of it every day. Um, we, we try and emphasize to players how they can develop their attitudinal fitness and their attitudinal, attitudinal fitness can help them to be resilient against some of the stresses that they'll experience throughout their sports career and academic career and life. And, you know, some of the ways you can develop your attitudinal fitness, attitudinal fitness, which I think goes hand in hand with mental health is a lot like physical fitness. If, if, if you don't put the time in uh, your, your body's not going to be there when you need it. And if you don't put the time in to develop your attitudinal fitness, when difficulties and challenges come, and of course we know they certainly will, you know, we're not ready to handle them. And so gratitude is, is one of the, one of the best ways research shows that you can develop your attitudinal fitness, expressing gratitude, whether sharing that with someone else, writing something, or just thinking of things that you're grateful for each day um, can do wonders for mental health. Uh, but there's a, a whole series of things that can that all contribute together to help allow all of us to be in a better mental space. Well, uh, Mono, we're running out of time here, but I appreciate the conversation. It's always fun to talk to you. I feel better every time I talk to you. You're a true positive light in the sports world out there. So uh, keep up the good work. And I, I greatly appreciate it. Right back at you, my friend, for the decade that we've known each other. You have a heart for the game. You have a heart for impacting others and just consider it a, a real pleasure and treat to be able to be on with you today. All right. Take care, Mono. Thanks, Ken. We'll talk to you all next time on the Sports Forum League of Fans podcast. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of League of Fans Sports Forum podcast. If you would please take a few moments to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, it would be appreciated. You can follow Sports Forum and get information about episodes on Facebook at Sports Forum Podcast. And be sure to go to LeagueOfFans.org to find some of our latest work on contemporary sports issues. Until next time, take care.